irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Talk Radio and all podcasting platforms. This is Max and Friends. I'm your host, Max Tucci. Welcome back to another Max and Friends. If you're joining me for the first time, welcome to the show. We've been here this May, 14 years. Tweet me at Max Tucci. Instagram me at Max Tucci. Let me know what's going on with your life. Do you have conflict in your life? That's something we need to talk about. But more importantly, we need to talk about the conflict resolution. You know, it's, it's, I think we all have conflicts uh, from one point or another. But it's how we resolve the conflict that really brings us to a point of being seen, being heard, and being told we matter. You know, there's conflict going on all over the world today between Ukraine and Russia, between America and the world, and of course at the Oscars. Talk about conflict there and the resolution that happened during that conflict. Today's guest who will be joining me in just a moment is Mesa Malkin, amazing author of the book. Sorry, Mesa Malekin. The book is The Conflict Resolution Grail. Amazing awareness, compassion, and a negotiator's toolbox. You have to get this book. Before we get into the show and before we get into that, I got to say, hi. I, yeah, I haven't been here for a couple of minutes. <laughs> it's been nonstop with my book and working on that and editing that and really bringing it into a place of perfection. So, um, I'm so grateful to Rizzoli for, for publishing the book. It'll be out soon. We're working on it. It's getting there. And I just want to ask you all, how are you? How are you? How are your days going by? Tweet me at Max Succi and let me know. I've got to let you know, this just came in yesterday, that Max and Friends is nominated for three 2022 Communicator Awards for Outstanding Host, Outstanding Music Episode featuring Kimberly Joy. Remember Kimberly Joy from The Voice? An Outstanding Religious Spiritual Episode featuring Kimberly Joy. So I'll know soon whether, we, fingers crossed, I'm just grateful to be nominated. You know, it's that wonderful validation of do you hear me, do you see me, and do I matter? It's something that I say to you all because I want you to know that I do hear you, I do see you, and you do matter. And that's what brings us to tonight's show, The Conflict Resolution. When you're in conflict, what is it that you feel? Do you want to fight? Do you want to flight? Do you want to run? Do you want to be in it? Do you want to dig your head in the sand and ignore it? Are you aware? And are you compassionate? It's true that, you know, conflict is all over. Like the book says, conflict is one of the top challenges the world faces today. The survival of the human race demands that we pay attention to our own role in conflict, but resolution on a global scale requires change from each individual. I have a wonderful lawyer, med mediator, and of course, author joining me. Mesa, welcome to Max and Friends. Mesa Malecki, welcome. Uh, thank you, Max. Thank you for having me on the show and, and congratulations on the great success of your show and all that thank you're doing. You. Thank you so much. Well, I congratulate you on writing, having the courage to write a book titled The Conflict Resolution Grail. So many people have conflict. We don't want to address it. We don't want to face it. When I say we, I speak 
not for the collective, but for those who don't want to face it, obviously. So before we get into the book, The Conflict Resolution Grail, let's talk about your life and what brought you into becoming a lawyer, a mediator, and an author. Well, you know, I, I'm a great believer of synchrodestiny. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Tifatro talks about that quite extensively. And I think, uh, you know, the universe conspired in many different ways to uh, bring me to conflict resolution and to being a lawyer, frankly. Uh, you know, I, I think that assertion is something that I actually struggled with. I come from a culture where I'm taught to be polite, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where there was always uh, a lot of attention being paid to hierarchies of power and how you had to be in certain situations. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, uh, law fell on my lap. Uh, I didn't intend to be a lawyer right from uh, the outset. And as I started practicing it, I was quite drawn to family law in particular. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until I took my mediation training that I actually saw meaning in why I had become a lawyer. I mean, I, I love what I do. I love helping families resolve conflict and solving their problems. Oftentimes, uh, you're not necessarily, as a family lawyer, able to help them resolve conflict. Uh, but you can move them from point A to point B by helping them resolve the, the problem. And I, I talk about, you know, confidence-building measures in, a, in the book. Uh, you know, you may not be able to get rid of the toxic emotions, uh, but that, is, that doesn't mean you can't introduce a procedure such as mediation to help people, uh, you know, resolve a case. So mm. uh, that's sort of when I took the conflict resolution training to become a mediator, I was actually quite astonished at, at why it wasn't a mandatory course in law school. A lot of uh, litigators are trying to resolve uh, or help their clients litigate cases and, and, and solve problems, but they don't know the ABCs uh, of conflict resolution or, in fact, have ever examined their own relationship to conflict. So, um, you know, so and then on top of it, I'm a huge fan of Eckhart Tolle. I, I, you know, I've, I've, read, I've, I've, I've listened to him over the years. And when I got into the literature, a much of which comes from, it's not what I say, it comes from the Harvard Negotiation Project, um, I was astonished at the parallels to what Eckhart Tolle was saying. You know, all of the stuff they say about emotional regulation, Eckhart, I think in uh, one of his books, says something about how when you're at a restaurant and uh, the waiter uh, serves you a soup that's cold, uh, you can politely tell the waiter the soup is cold. But the minute anger creeps in and uh, there's an emotional uh, uh, urge behind it, uh, that's mm-hmm. when you run into problems. And I, I felt, which is why I have, a, I have a chapter of my book called The Ego. The yes, ego we're going to talk about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're at chapter five. We're going to talk about the ego. But I love this conversation because, you know, so many of us, patterns and pathologies, how we're raised, how we're taught, how we're taught to react, how we're taught to fight, it's all in our DNA in the sense that, not in our DNA, but it's in our frequency of how we were raised. So the question that I would love to start with is what, from your definition, is the word conflict? Uh, that's a very, that's a very good, good question. Uh, to me, uh, you know, uh, conflict is often framed negatively, but is actually how do you move someone from one place to the next? There is a disagreement. How do we help you move from one place to the next? And the minute you reframe it that way, then it's no longer conflict with all of these negative connotations. Mm-hmm. Conflict can even be looked at as a good thing. In fact, as an essential. Uh, you know, so that's that's the way I would uh, I would define it. I love that. That's you know, 
I love the fact that when someone teaches something new or a different way to approach words that we've been taught, <laughs> it's like it moves the needle and it shifts the paradigm for us to look at things differently. You know, it's kind of like the ego, which we're going to talk about. There's so many that say it's a negative. So many say it's a positive. People are in between. Where is the ego? And that's like conflict. Um, conflict. Explain how conflict can be a good thing. So, you know, um, well, there, there are many benefits. Uh, mm -hmm. the, like you said, I think at the outset of your uh, talk, uh, it, it, it is inevitable. I step outside of my home and there is the potential for conflict at every opportunity. So I'm at a gas station. I may attend to put gas in my car. I mean, for, for God's sake, you even said this at the Oscars. Who would right. thought there is the potential for conflict at every turn? So we better learn how to be effective conflict resolvers. And this is the you know the other thing. I have two children, and I'm passionate about teaching them about these skills because I think these are essential life skills. We're, we were never taught to consciously think about our own relationship to conflict, our own relationship to power, how to be yeah. assertive, how to regulate our emotions. Uh, and these things uh, not only help us at an individual level, like you also said at the beginning uh, where we started this, Max, this is how you make change on a global level. It starts at the individual level. Mm -hmm. And it starts with a conversation. You know, not everyone can have a mediator in their house, but what a that, joy it would right. be to have and, a mediator. Right. And, you know, the, you, you asked me about the benefits. I mean, there are so many benefits. Not only are you able to more effectively solve problems, the other component of conflict that, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people who write about conflict resolution, I, you know, like I say, I, in this book, I try to sort of marry uh, the various disciplines. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've heard of the great Japanese researcher, Masaru Emoto, uh, but he did these, this incredible research on water crystals where yes. he exposed, uh, the, you know, um, music, sorry, water to different types of music. He mm. found that even modern jazz from the 1950s resulted in the formation of magnificent crystals. Uh, on the yep. other hand, uh, you know, hateful lyrics resulted in fragmented crystals. And when you think about the fact that our body is comprised of 70% water, you can think about the impact that hateful words and hateful speech, never mind they have on the other person, they have on your own well-being. So there's a connection between well-being and, and conflict resolution. And that's the other dimension of it that I think, you know, we often think about, oh, well, you know, I have to get my right. And I have all of that is great. I, I write about advocacy. I, I advocate on a daily living for my clients. Uh, but there is a dimension of well-being that when we display anger, the first person that we're harming is ourselves. Is ourselves. Absolutely. Well, you know, that brings us to the brain, the left and the right brain, which you talk about in your book and frequency. So when that conflict comes, you know, we did a great show oh, many years ago about hard conversations and how we should really, not should, but it would be nice to invite people to a hard conversation instead of just spring it onto them, right? So when we're in that hard conversation mode and we need to have a conversation and there's conflict, our brain goes, <laughs> bounces back and forth. Our thoughts bounce back and forth. Our breath becomes rapid. You know, we, we get into that anxiety mode. So how does the brain work when conflict kicks in? Well, it's all to do with, uh, again, the emotional parts of the brain. And I do cover the, I, I'm not a neuroscientist. You must keep in mind I'm a lawyer and a mediator. 
But I did, I was daring enough to do some research on the issue and write about, uh, you know, the emotional parts of the brain. And uh, you literally flip your lid, uh, you know, if you haven't strengthened your em emotional circuitry of, of your brain. And, uh, you know, one of the methods that a lot of neuroscientists are now saying will help you do that uh, because, uh, you know, the more certain neurons uh, fire, the more these connections with the prefrontal cortex of the brain, uh, uh, the more you're able to uh, make those connections to the other uh, parts of the brain that are involved in emotional regulation through mindful meditation, which is why, uh, the you know, I, I always say the skill building is great, but a lot of people just want to uh, jump to the skill building without mm -hmm. uh, thinking that the prerequisite before skill building, what comes is uh, actually being conscious and being aware. Uh, yeah. So before you get to the skill building phase, you need to be, you need to have an awareness. Um, and in order to develop awareness, you need to catch yourself in those situations where you uh, tend to, uh, you know, flip your lid. And the more you catch yourself, uh, the more, uh, again, you're actually structurally changing, uh, you're actually making changes in the structure of your brain and the way that certain neuronal networks fire together. So um, I, I talk about skill building in my book, but I also talk a lot about, like you said, uh, the role of the brain and also, um, um, uh, you know, awareness and uh, be, becoming conscious about um, our conflict resolution personality. Absolutely. You know, I always say that there's conscious and unconscious conversation. An unconscious conversation is just when we talk, 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 and we're not even thinking about what we're talking about. But if we take a breath and we take a moment, Listeners, take a moment to be still when you feel conflict rising up and breathe through it and have a conscious conversation about it. Be aware, intentions and awareness. So how do we get aware when conflict arises? What are some ways that skills that we, you can say conflict is coming, that the blood pressure goes up, we start to breathe heavier or deeper? How do we now pull ourselves back and how do we tap into that moment where we can say conflict is here? Let me be aware. Uh, so there's there are two things. Uh, first of all, uh, it is this is not an overnight. This is this is not a quick fix, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it is work that we have to start doing, uh, you know, uh, now. And uh, like I mentioned, the conflict resolution personality. So each of us have a conflict resolution personality, and I talk about this in the book. And you pointed to this as well. Uh, you know, so the the, the, the five uh, conflict resolution personalities, one is, uh, are you a competitor? Uh, are you an accommodator, an avoider, a compromiser, or a collaborator? And the reason this is important is because when you identify your predominant, and, you know, it depends on context. Not all of us are the same across every context. But right. each of us do have a predominant mode of, uh, you know, resolving conflict. So if you're the competitor, for instance, you always have to win. You don't care about relationship. Personal interests will always be your first priority. And in certain situations, that can be a good thing, which is why, again, the more you're able to assess your own conflict resolution style, the more you can become strategic. Uh, the accommodator, on the other hand, uh, cares more about the relationship than about his or her own self-interest. The avoider is some, someone that you mentioned, Max, is just somebody who likes to withdraw. They don't want to really deal with either of those things. Uh, the compromiser, uh, they try to strive for fairness, so they will never maximize the outcome, 
because, uh, you know, they'll do a little bit to win and they'll do a little bit to keep the relationship together, but they won't sort of think outside the box. The collaborator mm-hmm. knows and the collaborator is the, the individual we all have to aim to be that there's always a better solution, that you don't have to forsake uh, assertion for um, uh, uh, empathy, that you can actually be both. And one of the things I loved, uh, you know, when I was reviewing the literature was we've all heard of uh, that famous Machiavellian saying, uh, you know, if you can't be both, uh, um, if you can't both be, um, uh, you know, is it better to be feared than loved? Something like that. And, and if you can't be both, then Machiavelli's advice is you got to be feared. And I say, no, you've got to be both. You can be both compassionate and assertive. And I've someone, I am someone who's actually been able to exercise both of those things through my work and over the years have, have learned to do both. And I when I look it. at my own non-assertive beginnings, I think if I could do it, anybody could do it. You know, and so... Uh, so uh, that's what I'm saying. And the famous orange story, you may have heard of it, is a great example of how you can be the collaborator. There are two sisters who are, and this is the, you know, this is the example that at the uh, beginning of every mediation class they teach you. Uh, two sisters are quarreling over an orange and the uh, compromiser thinks, well, why don't I just cut it in half and we each walk away with half the orange? But uh, when they, you ask them, what is the reason you want the orange? One of them will tell you, well, I want the peel because I want a bacon marmalade cake. And the other one just wants to squeeze the juice. So the minute you ask, why do you want the orange? A different solution emerges, which is better than uh, the first solution. And they mm-hmm. each walk away with the full orange. So, uh, you know, the more you become conscious of your own conflict resolution style and in a negotiation setting or, uh, and, you know, it's always a negotiation setting. I don't just mean it in a professional context. It's a negotiation with your boyfriend. It's a negotiation with your husband. It's a negotiation with anybody that you're having a disagreement with. Uh, in any of those, not only do you have to be aware of your own conflict resolution style, but the more aware you are of the other side's conflict, conflict resolution style, the more you can play with this style of empathy versus assertion. So if I know that you're an avoider and I, I have the tendency to be the competitor, I know that if I'm too aggressive with you, you're just going to walk the other way. I'm not going to get what I want, which is to strike a deal. And again, I don't mean that's just in a professional setting. I mean that even in a personal setting when you're trying to solve a problem. So this is why becoming aware of our uh, predominant mode of conflict resolution style and having the ability to assess the other side's conflict resolution style is the prerequisite before we even get to any further uh, you know, skill building. Mm. So I love all of this because what I know, you know, usually from from my experience in life and from doing 14 years of on air <laughs> with many conflicts yeah. and people who fight and, you know, it's it's a similar, you know, um, experience with life when when we deal with conflict. Hear me. Do you see me? And do I matter? And when people feel that those three things aren't being acknowledged then all of a sudden that's when ego kicks in or that's when pride kicks in or that's when anger kicks in or fear. Should we fear conflict? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Uh, you know, I, I, that's why I devoted an entire chapter to empathy in the book uh, mm. because uh, absolutely you need to be displaying empathy. Uh, again, you need to balance it with assertion and it's a, uh, it takes some skill building to get to the right point where you can balance both of those things. 
mm-hmm. but without a doubt. And, you know, we, we live in a culture where uh, uh, it, it's entrenched in blame, you know, from the kids in the sandbox uh, where they learn, uh, well, you know, you know, you did it. No, you did it. We're, we're, we're entrenched in that culture of blame. And one of the things that I loved in the literature was to move people from blame to understanding. So there's a boss sitting uh, on the table that falls. Natural mm-hmm. inclination, if your kid walks by it, is to say you did it and hold him accountable or responsible. But when you look at you know, the various factors that went into the falling of the vase, you realize it wasn't just one factor. Maybe the, the vase was sitting too close to the edge of the table. Maybe the carpeting below uh, was missing. So then mm. you come to realize that there, there are many different factors. And maybe if I map out all the different reasons why the vase fr- fell, I can prevent it from happening the next time. And so mm. you shift people from this. And I see this in my work as a family lawyer. Uh, I, I tell people, you know, nobody is 100% responsible for why a marriage failed. It takes mm. two people. And what, it is not constructive to be entrenched in blame. Uh, and so it, it is a bit, you know, it's again, like you said, that reframing, uh, getting mm-hmm. people to uh, to look at the various contributors, because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, you want to solve the problem. Blame is just completely destructive. Yeah. Well, you know, it all depends on personality, too, because some people are addicted to the conflict or they're addicted to the to the fighting. So it's really looking at things in a different perspective with this kaleidoscope of life. Just change it ever so softly so that maybe you see things different. Are you? We were just talking about this in the book that we're we're discussing the conflict resolution grail. Are you the competitor? Are you the accommodator? Are you the avoider? Are you the compromiser or are you the collaborator? So before we go into the song, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about ego. And I definitely want to talk about in chapter eight, building empathy skills. Empathy is a beautiful thing. But before we get into that, my guest is a wonderful author. The book, The Conflict Resolution, Grail, Awareness, Compassion, and a Negotiator's Toolbox. And Mesa Maleki is here. We're going to be back. But before we come back, we're going to play a song. And the song is about peace. So, Mesa, before we go, what does peace mean to you? Well, that we live in a world, you know, first of all, I I have to just say very quickly, uh, you know, that John Lennon song, Imagine, it it, it is what we need to aspire uh, to, you know, that's the world we need to aspire to have. And to me, peace means exactly what that song says. And um, uh, at the very least, peaceful coexistence, if you can't be more than that. I love it. And what peace means to me is described in this song that our friend Sabrina Johnson sings. Peace here on Max and Friends. And when we're back, we're going to continue the conflict resolution grill. My guest, Mesa Malecki, is here. And we are going to get into the ego and also building empathy skills so that tomorrow, when you wake up in a new fresh day, maybe empathy is something that will cross your mind and you'll be able to resolve the conflicts in your life. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm your host, Max Tucci for Max and Friends. And now, peace by Sabrina Johnson.
LA Talk Radio. This is Max and Friends, and that was Sabrina Johnson. Peace. And now we're talking about the book, The Conflict Resolution Grill. It is the ultimate book in looking at conflict in a different way. You know, it's the paradigm that shifts ever so slightly, but with that shift, we can look at things differently and appreciate them for what they are and become part of the resolution. So my guest is wonderful. I, I just love this book. And I think it's something that like needs to be taught in schools. <laughs> like this needs to be like ninth grade in America. Bring this book into the classroom. <laughs> my guest, Mason Malecki, is here. I want to talk about boundaries. I think there's a healthy way to set them up. And um, I love how you describe them as the invisible lines sitting silently below the surface of our encounters. How do we create boundaries? Uh, that Yes, boundaries, again, as you know, I've been way I've divided the book. I talk about uh, four sub-conversations. So before we get to the conversation, we've, we've got to be aware of these sub-conversations. And boundaries is, of course, uh, one of them. And uh, uh, a lot of uh, disagreements. And, and, and even in, in, in the line of work that I'm in, uh, I see that all the time, has to do with boundary issues. There's no clarity on what the boundary actually is. So that's the first thing. A husband and wife, for instance, may uh, you know, argue about uh, she may feel he invaded his ba- her boundaries when he made weekend plans with his friends. And he, on the other hand, may view the boundary entirely differently. He may be of the view that it was within his sphere of autonomy to do exactly that. Uh, so they have a disagreement and uh, without knowing where the other's boundary is. And, you know, it'd be nice if you know, enough people talked about boundaries out loudly or, you know, before they got into a relationship. But most people don't because, as I say in the book, they are the invisible line. So the first step is to say, well, this disagreement may be about a boundary issue. And why don't we start with clarifying what the boundary is? And once uh, they have an co- open conversation about that, then you can look at possible solutions. Uh, you know, for instance, uh, one couple may decide that we're going to put decisions into, uh, you know, different buckets. One bucket could be, uh, you know, things that, like, for instance, we could make plans on the, uh, on, the, on the weekdays without even needing to consult with each other. Any weeknight plans, we would consult with each other, so they would go in the second, second bucket. And the third bucket would be, uh, you know, we either negotiate or nobody makes plans on the weekend. So once you know it's a boundary issue, you clarify your expectations around the boundary, you can then actually look to uh, finding a solution to the boundary problem. Mm. So how do we become a negotiator in our relationships? Uh, I think that, uh, you know, all of us have to reframe uh, the, the way we look at ourselves. We're all a negotiator. And like mm. you said, we needed to have been taught this stuff in, in, in never mind grade nine. I'd say earlier <laughs> than that. You know, I, exactly. I taught my five-year-old five uh, whenever he used to point the finger at someone else and say he did it. No, that is, uh, you got to change the conversation to a contribution conversation as opposed to a blame conversation. And so um, that's how, if we, if we start to look at ourselves as negotiators, and I love the chapter on assertion. In the entirety of the book, that's my favorite chapter that, uh, out of the ones that I wrote. And I'll tell you why. Uh, because, uh, you know, and I talk about the Thomas Moriarty study that, mm-hmm. you know, Thomas Moriarty did this study a long, long time ago uh, in New York City and called it, Are We a Nation of uh, Willing Victims? Uh, you know, he talks about how most people in the face of conflict, uh, they, don't, they don't speak up. They don't speak enough. 
And, you know, I've, I've set out how this study was, uh, for instance, they were in a library. There was a, a confederate who was talking out loud for seven minutes uh, out of a group of 41 people, uh, 10 walked away. Uh, you know, a couple of them actually uh, complained and the rest, 30 of them, just sat, sat through it. Uh, <laughs> so we don't know how to be assertive. So if you don't know how to be assertive, we're not going to think of ourselves as negotiators. But mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it's a learned skill. First, you've got to have the mindset. After mindset comes the skill building. And so every one of us have to look at ourselves as a negotiator in every setting. That's how you maximize outcome and you increase your well-being. Oh, my gosh. You need to be with us all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Just breaking it down so simply. But here's what I know for sure. For those of you who are tuning in, welcome to Max and Friends. What I know, we're talking about a conversation, the conflict resolution. Conflict sometimes could be very hard. Sometimes they could be easy, depending on who you are in the conflict. But what I know for sure is we have to do our work. And if you're willing to look at conflict a little bit differently, do your work by buying the book, The Conflict Resolution. In it, you're going to learn mastering the four subconscious conversations, power, trust, boundaries, the ego, mastering the conversation, building emotional skills, building assertiveness skills, building empathy skills. And what I want to talk about real quick is assertiveness. What does that mean? Define assertiveness for you. And how can we be more assertive? Assertiveness is that every time I'm afraid, first of all, the the fear is the subconscious programming. Uh, So again, once you examine the subconscious programming, you have the power to change it. I think it was the great late Stephen Covey who said this in his very well-known books, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm -hmm. Between stimulus and response, there's a gap. In that gap lies our power and our ability to change. So Mm. that is why subconscious programming, and I talk about procedural memory, uh, implicit memory, explicit. I I talk about memory and priming in my book because Mm. uh, we've been primed to fear conflict situations. That's what the Thomas Mm -hmm. Moriarty studies confirmed. So once you get through that subconscious programming, uh, again, the first step is awareness. I change my mindset. So the next time I'm in a conflict dynamic, because now I am no longer falling back on my subconscious program, and I realize that the before response, after stimulus, I have I, I, I feel compelled to act, and I'm not going to let fear get in the way. And if my reason is strong enough, this is why you know I talk about Gandhi in the book, who was uh, who was embarrassed the first time he was in a courtroom. He didn't know how to be assertive. And who look who he became because he found his cause, Rosa Parks. All of these are great humans who uh, contributed immensely to the world. They did not come from assertive beginnings. In fact, the opposite. They, they felt compelled to act. And that's what I've actually trained myself to do. I have changed my own subconscious programming. I have changed my own uh, conversation with power. And I, you know, that's why I, I feel very passionate about power as well. It's in the book. Um, and once you do that, then it's all about skill building. Well, now how do I build, build the skills? And, you know, there's, there's a lot of different uh, skill uh, building um, that mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, various ways that you could do that. I talk about it in the book. One of those is, is we don't often think of emotion as a skill, but building emotional skills, I call it a skill. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I sort of give the to-dos. I mean, there are a lot of different methods, the DESC method I talk about in the book and you know, describe the problem, express the emotion. I talk about all that in the book, but more importantly than all of that is uh, you've got to get through the subconscious programming. You've got to decide 
to assert. The minute you decide to assert, you're going to do it. You're going to assert. You're going to hate the person you are if you don't assert. And again, you have to find, uh, you know, and, and some causes require more assertion than others. You're passionate about a cause. Every time I'm in a courtroom and I, I, I argue a case before a judge, I feel passionate about the fact, you know, I, I'm advocating for other people. And again, it was a learned skill for me. Anybody could do it. And uh, I feel that uh, more important than anything is assertion. Assertion, and you know, it's a, a very closely linked to power. And uh, I have this uh, great example in the book. One of my favorite books is a book called Gruffalo. Many parents uh, would know about it, where um, a small mouse outwits this creature called the Gruffalo. And, uh, you know, uh, the expression of power is so important, and that's advocacy. It's, it's you know, you, a power in and of itself without the expression and the display of power is only a potential. It's when we express that power through advocacy that we're actually making change in the world. And again, uh, our little ones need to be taught to display uh, empathy, but they also need to be the, the taught to display assertion. Absolutely. We're going to talk about the two E's, ego and empathy. But before we get into that, you had mentioned the word victim. And a long time ago, a dear friend of mine, Audrey Orell, taught me a very simple phrase. The first time you're a victim, the second a volunteer. <laughs> and so, <laughs> That's and, then my, yeah. and then my dear friend Ash Ruiz says, sometimes why are we the ones that are always at the scene of the crime? Meaning we are always there. We show up to it. We show up to the conflict. Are we addicted to conflict? So with that said, um, Mesa, can people be addicted to conflict? Yes. Yes, I, I think they can. There's actually literature written on this. Uh, about high conflict personalities. And I, I see it in my line of work. Some people, whether it's, you know, lawyers on the other side or uh, sometimes my own clients, some, sometimes the client, you know, the person on the other side, uh, some people thrive on conflict. It, it gives meaning to their life. Uh, yeah. And again, uh, it's very destructive to the person who thrives on conflict. So he or she best, again, become aware of that tendency to thrive on conflict, take a step back and uh, try to act in more constructive ways. That would be my advice. I love that advice. I want to talk about the ego. And not in the sense we're talking about it for the next 20 minutes, because <laughs> the ego is something we can talk about forever for some. But for you, what does the ego mean? Well, I picked up on, uh, again, uh, what Eckhart Tolle, how he defines the ego. To me, the mm -hmm. ego is identification with our own mental processes. Uh, and uh, and you know so so that's my definition of ego. It's it's, it's unconsciousness. And uh, any time that you're you're conscious of your emotions or conscious of your thoughts, you're stepping outside of the ego. Mm. And what are we stepping into when we step out of it? Uh, into choice. You now oh. you know you now step into choice making behavior. Uh, that's the way I see it. Uh, so. Um, yeah, I love choice making behavior. It's like a whole nother book. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> choice, choice making behavior. So you discuss empathy. Empathy is something we talk a lot about. Highly sensitive people here on Max and Friends. We talk about empathy. We talk about ways to be and to express empathy in ways where we tell people, "I hear you, I see you, and you matter." And here you have a quote in Empathy Chapter Eight: Building Empathy Skills that says. When someone empathizes with you, 
it gives you this sense that your inner being truly exists for that person. That's a quote from Rick Hansen. Why did you pick that quote to open this chapter? Um, because it spoke to me. I, I've been at the receiving end of empathy, and, and I know how it feels. And it makes one feel alive. And at the end of it all, it's all about feeling alive. So uh, that's why I think I picked up that quote because it specifically spoke to me. I love feeling alive, feeling alive. We're going to have to wrap this show up in just a minute. It's flying by, but there's still so much more to talk about. But if you're interested in reading the book, The Conflict Resolution Grill, go get it now. Awareness, Compassion, and a Negotiator's Toolbox. I promise you, I've read this book. It will make you look at conflict into a different way. And it will make you feel alive. And really, I think that this book is, is like the ultimate in the handbook for conflict resolution. So if you feel like resolution is something that's on your mind and you want to resolve something and you don't know how, this is a great, it's called The Grail. I'll call it the handbook, <laughs> the study guide for you to read, to digest, to understand, to do your work and be a part of the resolution. Before I let you go, Mesa, I want to talk about quickly changing our subconscious programming about conflict. We've talked about it. Change, I believe, doesn't change until we change. And maybe we want to change. Maybe we don't. And either way, that duality is fine. If you want to change, then listen up. How do we change our subconscious programming about conflict? Uh, again, I think it's a lot of what I've already talked about. I think it's through uh, becoming more aware of the faulty associations that we've, uh, we've made. And um, uh, and I think again by 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 observing yourself in situations and how you respond to various people in different uh, in different places, uh, you you first of all draw an awareness to what those programmings are, and once you uh, have an awareness about what you, what those programs are. Then it would be through the skill book. What a great show. The Conflict Resolution Grail, Awareness, Compassion, and a Negotiator's Toolbox. I have to thank my guest, author, attorney, mediator, friend to the show, Mesa Malecki, for joining me. Please go buy the book, The Conflict Resolution Grail. I love you for tuning in. Until next time, remember, be kind to one another. Tell someone, I see you, I hear you, and you matter. And be part of the change. Be part of the resolution instead of the conflict. Until next time. Remember to take life to the max. Good night and good karma. I'm your host, Max Tucci, for Max and Friends.